Hey, good morning, church. Are we awake now? Are we ready to go? Um, did she make it back in yet? She hadn't made it back in yet. I am, I'll just share with you a peek behind the curtain. Um, there's, there's this thing called spiritual warfare. And there's times when God wants to do something really, really big, and the enemy gets really concerned about that and does everything he can to try to trip us up. I don't know what it is in this sermon specifically. I have an idea, but I don't know what it is in this sermon specifically that the enemy doesn't want to be proclaimed today. But I can tell you he's pulled out every stop to trip us up this morning. So whatever it is that's distracting you, whatever the burden is that's on your heart, I'm going to ask you to lay that aside. Like the enemy's even gone and attacked our plumbing this morning in the building. Like it's ridiculous. Every time I turn around, there's some kind of silly thing, some kind of distraction that's popping up that I keep trying to have to not deal with. And I wish I wasn't preaching this because I look at, I, I sat with uh, Ryan this morning. He said, how'd your week go? I said, I thought my week was fine until I got here this morning and realized I've been distracted all week. Like I've been, I'm preaching on distractions and I get to the Sunday morning and I turn around and go, I just been distracted all week long. Everything that I, I just, I can't even wrap my head. Do you guys ever get distracted? Never. Well, you're like Air Force pilot. You're locked in always. <laughs> oh, man. Distractions are, are kind of the culture that we live in. Like, it's, there's constantly something that's going on. There's constantly something that wants to grab our attention. Did you know that marketers refer to our attention as currency? Do you realize that every time you open up your cell phone and every time you open up some kind of app or every time you look at any kind of screen or any time you're driving down the road and you see these billboards or you're in a bathroom somewhere and you see those advertising, like all, everything they're talking about is how do we get their attention? How do we get their attention? And we, they know that we don't have very long. We don't have very much of it. We've, they've got a, a second or two to grab it and to sell us something. Like that's what they're all about. Marketers are trying to sell us something, grab attention and sell stuff. Every app on your phone is designed, like have you ever opened up an app and everything been black and white? No? See, there was this machine called the, the Nook, I think, or the Kindle. When it first came out, what was the point of it? The readability, to read books. And they made it black and white so you could read it. But they didn't sell enough books that way, so they had to make it color and make it really bright and shiny so that we would pay attention to it because every other thing in the world is bright and shiny, right? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just want you to be aware of what's going on. Like, I'm, I'm just as guilty. I've got a smartphone in my pocket. My wife will, will amen all day long that I spend too much time looking at it. So I'm not saying that these things are necessarily bad things, but I want us to be aware that our world is full of distractions. And so all of us people, we get distracted. Um, hopefully you're not getting distracted while you're driving. But all of us get distracted. The church, hint, is made up of people. People get distracted. The church can sometimes get distracted. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about there's times that maybe the church can get together and be focused on something that isn't the main thing? Like we, we get distracted by something that isn't the point right? Even, even in the church, there are shiny things that grab our attention. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple of weeks, and we're just going to talk about a couple of common distractions, and we're going to talk about the main thing. Um, that's what we're going to do this morning. So 
it's not necessarily that the distractions are bad things. Oftentimes, they're good things. But the enemy is real quick to take something that's good and to get you so locked in and focused on it that you skip what's the most important thing. And you, and you miss it. So what I want to do is highlight a couple of shiny things that the church can get distracted on and talk about them. But this morning, I'm going to try to avoid all the shiny things. I think that's why the enemy is so upset about what we're going to do this morning. I don't want to talk about the shiny things. I want to talk about what's most important. We want to talk about what is the heartbeat of our faith. And I've already given you guys a hint in talking with Kid Nation that it's Jesus. All right? Let's pray together. We'll open up God's Word um, because we believe he's spoken clearly through us, to us in that. Let's pray. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, there's no component of our personality um, that you did not originally design. You made us to be like you. And, and our sin has corrupted us. We, we're aware of that. And Lord, we're easily distracted. So Lord, this morning as we come to you together and your word, Lord, we pray that you would captivate our attention. Lord, that all of our energy would be poured into what it is that you have to say. Lord God, we ask that you would speak clearly through your word, that the shiny things would fall away and that we'd focus on the glory of your name and who you are. Lord, would you walk with us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to be talking about shiny things starting out of the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a book in the Bible um, called 1 Corinthians. And if you're using one of our story Bibles, it's on page 789. <laughs> 1 Corinthians, page 789. We're going to be starting in chapter 1. So you can open there or, or tap there, however it is that you want to get there. But let's, let's do a little bit of reading. First letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> we'll pause there. Um, if you don't know anything about this book of the Bible, it might feel a little bit like, and, and that's just an illustration. We'll get to that later. Don't worry about that. But that's the whole text of what we're talking about today. But if you've never come to this letter before, you don't have any kind of construct for what the Bible is, like realize first that this is a letter. And what we are doing this morning is we're reading somebody else's mail. Have you ever done that? Don't tell me if you did, because I think it's a felony. Um, but what we're doing this morning is we're reading somebody else's mail. Um, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. It says, Paul, called by the will of apostle, or by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. So it's possible that Paul was right, that Sosthenes was actually the dude writing it down because Paul was a little bit older. He couldn't see very well. I don't know that anybody relates to that. But that's what we got. It's a letter of Paul, written by Paul. 2, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Corinth is a city. It's a city over in Greece, and this is kind of like a port city. 
Um, it doesn't mean anything to us today so much, but this is a, almost like a New York or a Los Angeles of their day. They were in a port, and they were actually a, a, a city that was kind of wedged in between two ports. And, and so they ended up getting all kinds of trade. There was all kinds of people going in and out of the city. There were all kinds of things going on. But Corinth had a bit of a reputation. Um, we, we, what we might equate with the city of Las Vegas today, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, except that everybody knew what happened in Corinth didn't stay in Corinth. Um, they, they had a bit of a reputation. So it was a port city like, like New York, but it had the reputation of, like, if, if, if you want to have fun, there's a bunch of money and there's a bunch of free sex in Corinth. Like, that was their whole reputation. Is exactly the place that you would expect an apostle of God to be writing a letter to, right? No, Michelle's like, no, I don't think so. Why would, why would he write a letter to those people? Well, what had happened was, is Paul had gone on this journey, and he was going from city to city, and he was walking around, and he was sharing the gospel. And God had directed his, his steps in a really miraculous way and took him to a, on a route that was not what he planned. And he ended up in the city of Corinth. And he goes to all the religious people, the Jewish people there, and he, and he starts preaching Jesus to them. He's like, hey, you guys are waiting for the Messiah. He already came. And, and Jesus is it. Jesus is the answer to all of the centuries of waiting and everything that you've been doing. And they were like, yeah, whatever, Paul. Like, it's, no, that's not our deal. That's not what we do. And so Paul stayed there for a year and a half, and he preached. And when the, uh, when the religious people didn't buy it, he was like, all right, forget you guys. He, he literally said, I wash my hands of you. Your blood is on your own head. I've given you the truth. You've rejected it, and now I'm going to go share it with people who don't know. And he went to people that were the normal city folks, the people that were in the culture of Corinth. And, and he started preaching the gospel to them, and he built a church. He started a church. He spent a year uh, and a half building a church in Las Vegas, the ancient Las Vegas. And he goes on. like God, God uses him in a really particular way where he goes and he starts things, and he leaves people in charge, and he moves on and, and, and starts some more things. He was a little bit of a church planter, um, a little bit on steroids. He did a lot of, of church planting. And so he goes through, and he, that year and six months is all the time that he had with him. Um, I'm trying to think, and for most of us, we've been here for more than a year. But I wonder, like, if we only had a year and six months to get everything that we needed to get established and be a healthy church, like, there's a lot that has to be done. And so they carry on and they continue on and things don't necessarily go well. We have a record that he wrote them a different letter um, before this one, and they didn't really get what he was trying to say. So they wrote him a letter like, this is what we thought you meant, and, he, and we're going to see in this letter. No, 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 that's not what I meant. Don't, no, don't do that. <clears throat> so this is actually the second letter that we have a record of that he wrote. But he, this is a church that he has a relationship with. This is, he's the founding pastor of the church of Corinth. He's writing him a letter. And he does this really, really interesting greeting. He says, to the church of God that is Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, our, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He points them to the fact that they're not alone. There's times where we can get into our separate, our separate church um, huddles, 
and think that, well, if God's not moving here, then he must not be moving. Or if, if we're having these kind of troubles, then, then maybe God has abandoned the world and it's all going wrong. Or if things are going really well, we think, how could God possibly be do, doing something with those people over there? And so when he opens up this letter, he says, hey, I'm writing to you, but I want you to realize that you are part of a global movement. I want you to realize that God is working not only in the city of Corinth, but also everywhere the people call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hey, if we wanted to read into it a little bit, he could be talking about us. I don't know if you noticed, but that's what we did this morning. We called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I did. I don't know what you guys did, but you know, y'all be responsible for that. He's saying, y'all, what's going on in the world is bigger than just you guys. That is a helpful reminder. It is something that I, that I come to every week. Um, there's a time, usually about 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings, that I stop whatever I'm doing, and I text four or five other pastors in different cities and just say, hey, I'm praying for you because I realize that the Spirit of God is moving in places beyond uh, Ocala and beyond Grace Church of Ocala. Like God is, and we're all on the same team. And sometimes we miss that. But he's, that's where we start now, right? He says those that are sanctified. And what he means is, by the word sanctified, it's kind of a church word, but the, the, the word just means set apart for a specific purpose. Um, we, we may not use the word sanctified very often, but we know what it means. Um, the simplest way that I can explain this is your toothbrush. You have a toothbrush that is sanctified for your teeth. And if it gets used for a different purpose, a different mouth, it is unclean. It is unsanctified. It has been defiled and needs to be cleaned, right? You also have a, likely, you also have a kit somewhere in the, in the bowels of your sink in your house. Think about it. There's another toothbrush. That is also sanctified for cleaning, not teeth, right? We know what the word sanctified means. He's saying, hey, you guys are set apart. You guys are set apart. You're different from the culture that you're, that you're swimming in. And what God is doing in you is part of a global movement. It's bigger than just what you guys are doing. All right? Let's read the, the, the rest of this greeting. <clears throat> in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, he, he opens the letter, and this is, this is just a letter. So he says, and, and they were written on scrolls, which is a little bit different from email today. But, but they were written on scrolls, so they'd write, who had written it, which is Paul, who he was writing to, which is Corinth. Then they'd open it up and say, grace to you. Like, you know, hope you're having a great day. And then they'd give some kind of a Thanksgiving, some kind of like, hey, how you doing? How are things going? So Paul is using a comment. He's writing an email. And it's common. There's nothing weird about that except that he makes it distinctly Christian. You notice? Like, everything about this is just saturated in Jesus. And here's the flow of his argument. He starts off, I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. He says, you received grace. 
Like, I'm thankful that God got a hold of your hearts. Like, I know what the city was like when I got there. And I am thankful to know that God and his grace reached into your world and showed you his kindness by forgiving your sin. He's given you grace. He's giving you a gift that you didn't deserve, and I'm thankful for that. And beyond that, in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So he says, not only did you get grace, not only did God do something great in your life, you understood what happened. Have you, I don't, maybe it's just me. There have been times where God has done stuff, and there have been other people who've said, you know, God did this in your life, and it just completely went over my head. It's usually months or years later where, where somebody's like, hey, Michael, like, you do know that that was God, right? I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. But what Paul is saying here is not only did God show you grace, not only did he walk into your life and save you, but he, you also understood it. And beyond understanding it, beyond comprehending what God had done, you could also talk about it. Now, this is where a lot of us get struggle, or start to struggle. It's like, I get that God is doing something in my life, and I can kind of see what it is, and I, I feel it. I definitely feel it, and I know that it's God working. But if I had to explain that to my neighbor, I don't know that I could. Do you, anybody? Is that just me? Yeah, so not only did God do something, not only did they understand it, but they, they were enriched in speech. They could also articulate it in a way that other people could understand. Like, that's a movement of God. We're normal people. Like, we, we get that sometimes talking to people is just really, really hard. And especially when you're trying to talk to people about God stuff. Like, it just, it's not that it's icky, but we kind of feel like, well, I, I don't want to be presumptuous. I'm not trying to throw it down your throat. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's saying, look, God did something, you understood it, and you're enriched in all knowledge. And how, do I, how does he know that this is true? Verses 6 and 7. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I know it's true because I saw the work that God did in your community. I saw the way that you guys pulled together around Jesus and around the grace that was showed to you, and you started worshiping God together. We, we have this mindset of, of what God is doing with me, and sometimes we think if God's doing something with me, like it's just a special me and God thing. Like it's just a, a me and God, we've got this... Um, this line, and things are going really, really good. But what Paul is saying, not only did God do something, but he also confirmed it in the community of faith that you were part of. That's a lot of words. I, um, he could see it in how they behaved with other people. Right? You don't... I'm trying to think of, of an example of a time where you say something and it doesn't quite get fleshed out. But he's saying, not only did you have an understanding, not only were you talking the talk, but I saw you walk in the walk. God showed you grace and that gave you the ability to show grace to other people. God gave you clarity and so you could understand that God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you of a lot and I can also forgive my neighbors. I can forgive them of a lot. 
Does that make sense? Do you see that that, how that levels up their understanding? So it's confirmed in a community, and there's a perseverance that, that as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's not that you guys have given up on this. It's not that you did it and everything's good, but you're continuing in it. You're waiting, and you're looking forward to the goal, the goal being the complete revelation of Jesus Christ, where everybody gets it. There's times where you tell people about Jesus and they don't get it, and that's okay. But there's going to be a day where everybody gets it, whether they want to get it or not, and that's the day we're looking forward to. Who will sustain you to the end, and that's, that's that day, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I have confidence that when we get to the end of all things, when we get to the last chapter of the world as we know it, that you will be blameless in front of Jesus. You, like the Corinthians, yes, but also you. To the degree that you trust Jesus to sanctify you, the degree that you've trusted him with your salvation, the degree that you've trusted his grace to renew your heart, like he's going to get it done. When he comes back and when he sets everything right, he's going to look at his children and say, y'all are mine. I've washed you, I cleaned you, I told you that my blood was sufficient to forgive your sins, and now it's done. Like, you will be, you will stand clean. You are standing clean now in front of me as he is clean. It's going to happen. Why? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's, here's, here's an observation question. Um, what do you notice? What are the repeating words as he opens this letter to these people? What, what words is he obsessed with? Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he talks about in the context of what he's getting ready to do and everything he's getting ready to say to the Corinthians is set in the context of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's the big idea. Here's the point. The heartbeat of faith is that Jesus is finishing what he started. The heartbeat of faith is that Jesus is finishing what he started. See, we've got this letter here, and you don't know it yet, but this letter is 16 chapters long. If we were going to preach and, and discuss this book every week until we got through it, it would take us on through Mother's Day to get it done. There's a lot of things that he's got to say to the Corinthians, and they don't have it all together. Like there, there's, he, there's times where he's harsh. There's times where it sounds like he's mean. There's times where he flat out says, y'all are doing the work of Satan. It's nasty, this letter. It's hard to read sometimes. And yet at the very outset of everything, he thanks God for what God is doing in these people. The heartbeat of our faith isn't that we pulled it all together. The heartbeat of our faith isn't that we have understood. It's that we are understanding. Does that make sense? It it's, feels like a, a fine line to draw. It isn't that you know it all, but that Jesus is filling you with his knowledge. It isn't that you have, have completely accomplished everything in and of yourself because 
You haven't. I don't know if you've picked up on that in your life yet. I feel that tension a lot, that I'm not who I am becoming. But my confidence isn't in myself, and Paul's confidence isn't in the Corinthians. Paul's confidence is that Jesus Christ is finishing the work that he started, is finishing now. So, I suspect that there are some of you guys that are like me. And there are times where you come to the Bible and the Bible tells you you're a sinner and you don't have things right and you need to be clean. And, you know, at the outset of, of your faith journey, like that's absolutely true. Like there's sin that you have to deal with. And if you are like me, if, I think it's a personality thing. But if you are like me, you read the Bible and you read those passages that are all like, yeah, you deserve to go to hell. And you're like, yeah, I deserve lots of punishment. I haven't done anything to make God happy. Everything I do makes God sad. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with the Bible for that. And then I turn around and I come to a passage like this that says, you are clean. And I'm like, yeah, that's not me. There's times where we'll come to the Bible and we'll say, like, yes, I agree with you, God, that I'm despicable and you ought to crush me like a worm. But when God turns to us and says, I am making you clean, it's as good as done. You are forgiven. In the day that I come and set all the scales right, you will be clean. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I am doing in you. And we're like, I'm not so sure about that. I know I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of being saved, but like now that I've come to that, like I'm not so confident in what Jesus has done. And do you see the heart of a pastor writing to a church that he cares deeply about? who doesn't have it together, but he says, I thank God every time I think of you because I know that Jesus is working in you. It's messy. It's, it's hard to get along with people. Like, remove the spiritual component. It's just hard to get along with people. But he says, I'm confident that Jesus is working in you. The heartbeat of our faith, church, is that Jesus is finishing the work that he started. If I had to boil all of what we're doing down to one thing, one word, it would be Jesus. If you ask me what Grace Church stands for, I would say Jesus if I only had one word. If you cut me, I hope I would bleed Jesus. Like, that is everything that we're doing. That is the person who brought the leadership team together. That's the person, I know your stories. The person that brought you to this morning was Jesus. Like, we're all from way different backgrounds. There's no reason any of us should be able to get, get together and sit down and get along, and yet we do. And that's not by accident. That's a divine work. That's Jesus. And so I want to say this as clearly as possible. I don't have to tell you about your sin. You know it, and you probably know it better than you ought to know. The more you will know it, the more you'll know how much God loves you. I don't have to tell you about that, but what I want you to understand is this. Because we hear it a lot, especially if we're church people and we listen to Christian radio and stuff like that. We, we hear it a lot, but I want, you to, I want you to hear it. I want you to understand it, please. When we say that Jesus came to earth, that he died, and three days later came back to life, that he took upon himself all of our sin and everything that separated us from God, 
When he came back to life, that was God's seal of approval that I accept this sacrifice and that these people that belong to him are his and he washes them clean. And that's the end of it. The, the rest of it, like, it's, it's almost like God put the climax of the story in the middle of it and we just kind of have to flesh it out. And sometimes in that waiting, we can get mucked up. We can get, we can get distracted. There can be shiny things. There can even be ugly things that distract us from what God wants to do in our lives. But, but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the promise to return, it changes everything. We're going to see that it changes how we talk to each other. It's going to change the way that we think about pastors. It's going to change the way that we sing together. It's going to change the way that we come to church together. It's going to change the way that we eat. It's going to change the way that we drink. It's going to change our sex lives. Like, as we come to this component, as we come to Jesus, we come seeking faith or we come seeking salvation and he, we don't realize the depth of what he's done. And for the rest of our life, we come to a better understanding of who Jesus is and what the gospel, what the good news, what his work has accomplished and is accomplishing in us. I feel like I said too many words and I hope I didn't bury it, but I want you to hear like the sum total of what we're doing this morning is based on Jesus. That if he is not finishing the work that he started, then we are wasting our time. That y'all ought to be fishing. Or something. But if he has done it, if this God stuff is real, if Jesus really did come back from the dead, then we haven't yet understood the gravity of what that is. We have not yet understood the depth of his forgiveness and the depth of his love. And that as we do that, we won't be able to help but invite other people in. So as we, as we close, just a couple of questions. So have you leaned into what Jesus wants to do in your life? See, I believe that Jesus is active in your life long before you're ever aware of him. And there comes a time where you become aware of him. And you, have to, and you start to wrestle with this idea of like, this Jesus guy is meddling with me. There's, there's stuff happening in my life that I'm not comfortable with. And like he keeps pointing it back to himself. If, if, if I've said that to you and you're kind of nodding, like if, if that's where you're at right now, I want you to understand that he's in, inviting you to lean into what he's already done. He's saying, look, I'm doing all this work behind the scenes and I'm giving you the understanding. And there's going to come a day where you'll have the words to be able to articulate, but, I, but what I'm asking you to do is respond in faith. Lean into the work that I'm already doing. Accept not, not just a, a theoretical proposition that a man thousands of years ago died and came back to life, but accept that God stepped into history to save your soul. And he accomplished that through Jesus. Have you leaned into what God wants to do in your life? Second, are you confident in the work Jesus is doing in others? 
you look at the news, um, I encourage you not to, but if you do, <clears throat> it feels crazy to, to see the different things that are going on and to see the things that are going on in the church. It, it breaks my heart. But I'm, I'm, I have so much respect for Paul who can look at this church that has a lot of problems and open up with, I thank God for you. I thank God that, start, that, I thank God that Jesus started something in you and I thank God that Jesus is finishing what he started. If you're somebody who's been following Jesus and you look at the church and you're discouraged, I'd invite you, stop looking at the church and start looking at the Savior. We can have confidence in what God is doing in other people. And the last question, and maybe the hardest, is do you have confidence in the work that Jesus is doing in your life? There's times where we, we get into the place where we're reading the Bible or we're going to church and we're hearing these stories and we're like, I'm so glad that God can do that for people. But I'm not convinced that he could do it for me. I have confidence that God is able for everybody else. But he can't touch me. I'm beyond his reach. Look, we're going to go through this. We're going to talk about the shiny things. And it's messy, and it's going to be hard. But I'm telling you, God can reach you. I'm telling you, God wants to. I'm telling you, he cares about you deeply. And the invitation is to lean into the work that he's already done. That's why we sang this morning, it is finished. He has done it. And when you lean into that, let your weary heart rejoice. Because our redemption is accomplished. And my favorite part, raise a shout with ragged voice. Because God is faithful. Not because, <laughs> spend five minutes with me and you will understand that it is not because I've got it all together. But God is faithful. And Jesus is finishing the work that he started. Amen? It's good news. We can be excited about it. We got a little bit mellow, but we can be excited about it. Let's, uh, let's pray together. And we'll sing together.